We believe that stuff, right? We think it makes all the difference in the world. It's called the Apostles' Creed. It's good stuff. But here's the deal. It's pretty easy to say that kind of stuff in this room, right? But following Jesus isn't just about what we say and do in this room. We're going to talk about that. So let's pray together. Father, we come here as people who have just received staggering grace. None of us deserves to be here, except through Jesus. And he changes everything for every one of us. And we want to figure out how to live that out every day. And I pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. We've been unpacking this verse, actually, for a couple, three months now, different parts of it. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be Jesus' follower, you've got to forget yourself. You've got to take up your own cross, and you've got to do it every single day, and then you need to follow me. And I think it's the everyday part that makes it so hard. Now, guys, I'm a baby boomer, which means, you know, post-war birth. I'm 66 years old, and... I don't worry too much about how we baby boomers are going to handle the next few years spiritually. Pretty much, we've made our beds. I worry quite a lot about our kids. And I worry a whole lot about our grandkids spiritually. Because they're going to have to learn how to be Jesus followers in a world that is very different than the one that we grew up in. A world that in a lot of ways we haven't prepared them for. In some ways, the world they grow up in may be a better one than the world we grew up in, but in other ways, it's very possible it will be more way, way more hostile to faith. And I think it's going to be tougher for our kids spiritually than it was for us. And to some degree, it's our fault. I don't think we boomers taught our kids very well. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny self, you've got to take up your own cross every day and you got to follow me and I don't think we've denied ourselves much and I don't think we're very much for taking up our crosses daily and following Jesus as Lord you look around and a lot of us have tended to put America before God we tend to put money before God we put comfort and leisure before God and now we watch our kids as they put things before God that we're not fond of and we get all huffy Well, maybe we didn't teach them too well. And I suspect that some of the words I'm going to say this morning are going to be suspect. You have a right to weigh them. Because I'm a pastor, and I'm paid to do life with God, for God, God's way, right? I'm paid to talk about God. You're not. I don't work in your workplaces. Your workplaces can be way more hostile to faith than mine. I don't run in the circles you do. I'm pretty much surrounded by serious Jesus followers from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. My job, in some ways, insulates me from the real world that you have to negotiate. And the real world out there is, in some ways, getting messier. At least to a Jesus follower. Now, I understand that we live in a culture that wants good things, but it's pursuing those good things in such self-destructive ways. People want unity. How cool is that? 
But so many are pursuing it by censuring those who disagree, by force, by canceling their enemies. That's not going to get it. People want equality. They want justice. How cool is that? They're pursuing it through tribalism and hatred. That's not going to work. People want peace. They want respect. They want those who have been marginalized to matter. How cool is that? People want what God wants. They just don't want God. And he's the only one who can make those kind of dreams come true. We're the church. We're Jesus followers. How are we going to be Jesus followers in a world that's going to make that harder? Bigger than that, how are we going to point people towards Jesus in a world where that's becoming more and more suspect? He's our only hope. Now, over the past several months, we've been tackling what Jesus has said about Jesus following. What does discipleship look like Jesus style? And we've been looking at a lot of really, really hard texts, a lot of hard stuff, serious stuff. And I'm afraid that the one we're going to look at this morning is not going to be letting up. This is tough. And I'm going to ask you to lean in. And not only that, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of help about how to apply it because that's going to be on you. How are you going to live this out in your world? Believing this stuff in here is easy. Living it out there is tough. Believing this stuff in here isn't going to cut it unless you live this stuff out there. So here's the text that I want to look at today. You ready? Matthew 10, 32 to 33. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father who's in heaven. In other words, take a stand. Take a stand. Even when it's hard, take a stand. No fear. And we live in a time when it looks like fear rules. Not for us. No fear. Take a stand. That does not mean be belligerent. Some people think that if you're going to be fearless, you have to be rude. It's ridiculous. Jesus is not talking about belligerence. And no defensiveness. We are not going to apologize for being Jesus followers, for believing what we believe is God's truth. We're not going to have fear. We're not going to be belligerent. We're not going to be defensive. We are going to confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we're going to show them that what they're looking for can be found in Him. God's truth, God's grace. Now, a whole lot of us grew up on the King James Bible. You may not have done that, but if you grew up on the King James Bible and read it a lot, you probably read these verses like this. Whoever shall confess me, not acknowledge, but confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Sometimes that translation, that words confess, takes people to the wrong places. Whoever confesses me before men, confession. Now, some people think about what we call the good confession. When you became a Christian, perhaps a lot of churches like ours will ask you to kind of stand in front of people and you're going to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sometimes in the baptistry, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We make that confession of Jesus. Is that what it's talking about? 
No, not here. Or it may be if you grew up in a Catholic background, you might wonder if Jesus is talking about the confessional or something where you go in and you confess your sins to a priest, right? Again, no, not, not here. Steve mentioned earlier that some people, when they see that word confess, they think about those police shows. It takes you into a police station or a courtroom, and that's getting closer. Will you confess Jesus when confessing Jesus is not safe? Will you confess Jesus when that confession may hurt you or your family or your job? Will you? You see, when Jesus says these words, he's actually bracing us, Jesus followers, for hard times that he knows are coming for us. Back in the world of Jesus, it was tough. Back then they would say, Caesar is Savior and Lord. But not Jesus followers. We wouldn't say that. We would say Jesus is Savior and Lord. And by saying Jesus is and Caesar is not, it put us in a dangerous spot with the state. It's going to cost us. If you are asked to confess Jesus as Lord and it'll cost you, are you going to do it? Well, we're going to try to dig down and try to unpack what Jesus is really talking about. And this is another one of those places where I think the context is really important. When you kind of sense the context, you can figure out what Jesus is really trying to say. Now, we find these verses in the biography. We call it a gospel, a biography of Jesus called Matthew. Matthew is one of the guys in the story. In fact, he's actually in the scenes that are going to be talked about this morning. Jesus sends the 12 disciples out to preach. Matthew's one of those guys. Jesus says, it's going to be hard. He says, I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. It means it's going to be tough, right? And then it gets harder. He says, when you keep doing this thing, when you keep walking this path, you're going to be handed over to the courts. You're going to be flogged with whips in the synagogues, in the churches. You're going to stand trial before governors and kings. Why? Not because you've done anything wrong. You're going to be hurting because you're a Jesus follower. That's enough. And you're thinking, well, people are saying, well, sign me up. Sounds cool, right? He says, this is going to be your opportunity to tell them about me. Oh. See, listen, guys. We always have been, and we are. We are the counterculture. We Christians are the counterculture. Jesus told us one time, he says, if they hate you, why does it surprise you? They hated me first. We live in a world that's at war with God, which means we're not going to fit in too well all the time. We're going to be offensive, Jesus says, simply because we are Jesus followers. We're going to clash because our moral values are going to clash with their moral values. We're going to stand trial because how we pursue the unity and the equality and the justice and the peace and the respect is going to clash with the way that they want to pursue those things. And when they come against us, Jesus says, it'll be your opportunity to show them Jesus. How cool is that? Keeps going. He says, when you are arrested, not if, when you're arrested, don't worry about how you're going to respond or what to say. No fear. It's a weird thing to say right there, isn't it? He says, God will give you the words. I wish I could give you the words right now if you ever get into a spot. I can't. God says, trust me. I'd rather not. I think I will. 
And Jesus says it's going to get bad. He says, if you choose to do life with me, if you choose to do life my way, it might tear apart your family. Do it anyway. Do it anyway for you. Do it anyway for them. He says people might laugh at you. People might blow you off. They might actually hate you. They might come after you. Do it anyway. Do it for you. Do it for them, he says. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. No fear. Or if you're going to fear, fear God more. Don't be afraid of those who can hurt you physically or socially or economically. Fear the one who holds your spiritual life in his hands. Fear him way more, Jesus says. And that's the context. Those are the words, those are the kind of ideas that run right up into the world, words that we looked at earlier in, uh, at the beginning of this sermon. Here it is that Jesus says this. He says, everyone now who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. These words are spoken in the context of persecution. He says... There might be times when you're going to be tempted to back off, to backslide, to compromise. This is for when the going gets tough. And I think for a lot of us, the going's going to get tougher. So I think our kids especially and our grandkids, this is going to be really, really big for them. So I want to dig down a little bit deeper and unpack a little bit more more deeply what these verses are all about. Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me, if you look up that word in a Greek dictionary, you'll find definitions like if you confess me, if you swear an oath about me, if you acknowledge me, I confess I am a Jesus follower. I am guilty as charged. Are you willing to publicly acknowledge you're a Jesus follower? Not just here in this room, I'm talking about outside these walls. And you're not having... They're not having to pry it out of you. We're not supposed to keep it a secret. I, I don't remember too much from college. College was too long, too long ago. But I remember reading one, one line in a guy called Linsky. And here's what he said. He said, there can be no secret discipleship. You can't be a secret disciple. Because the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. Or the secrecy will destroy the discipleship. And I think he's right. Jesus says, take a stand openly before men. Take a stand. Confess. I'm one of them. Because confessing or denying Jesus here will determine whether Jesus acknowledges or denies us there when we stand before God the Father, which every single one of us will someday. And apparently, what Jesus says about us there will determine whether we're in or not. Right? In other words, my standing with Jesus, your standing with Jesus, right here, right now, will determine whether he stands with you when you stand before the Father, when you need him most. Serious stuff. And do you have any idea how arrogant these words would have sounded when Jesus said them? Can you imagine how incredible these words would sound if Jesus was wrong. 
Think about it. What if I were to stand up here in front of you guys and say, guys, if you follow me here, if you, if you back me here, if you're on my side here, I'll get you into heaven. Because when you get to heaven, I'll be the one standing by the door, and I'll be the one that God listens to on that day. If I said something like that, I hope you'd have the guts to stand up and just walk out. Arrogance, the egocentricity of these words, unless he was right. Big idea number four. Jesus is not aiming half of these words at Jesus' followers and the other half of these words at pagans. He's giving them all to us. He's talking to those of us who claim to be Jesus' followers. We've got a choice. Are you going to take a stand? Are you going to backslide? You're going to be tempted to back up, back off, back away. You're going to be tempted to compromise, to vacillate, to equivocate, and some of us are going to run. Jesus says, don't, don't. No fear, guys. At least fear God way more than you fear men. One more big idea. This one's huge. Jesus is not talking about Sundays. He's not talking about what we're doing right here this morning in this room. This is about Monday through Friday at school or at work. This is about Saturday. This is about out there, the daily. Will you acknowledge that you're a Jesus follower outside this room, at school, at work, wherever? Will you show them what Jesus following looks like? And I think it's going to get harder. I think it's going to get harder for our kids, our grandkids. I don't think we parents have prepared them that well. I understand that. I mean, it didn't cost us much to be Christians, right? I mean, when I was growing up, most everyone did call themselves a Christian. We didn't always take it seriously, but for the most part, because you're a Christian, you weren't laughed at, you weren't marginalized, you weren't canceled for confessing Jesus. It's changing. We're more polarized today than maybe any time that I can remember. And there is so much anger and so much hate, so much rage. People seem incapable of having a civil conversation, much less a civil disagreement. People are shouting at us, and they don't want you to talk back. They just want you to listen. We listen to whatever we want to hear and pretty much assume that everyone else is wrong if they hear anything different. There has to be a better way. There is a better way. And I know for a whole lot of people out there, we Jesus followers are no longer the heroes of the story, right? More often than not, we're becoming the villains. We are regressive. We are repressive. We are intolerant, bigots, racist, narrow-minded. Stuff that I have set up here at the this place here is oftentimes considered by some hate speech. And they'll tolerate us as long as we keep the foolishness inside this room, but just don't take it outside into the public square, right? And listen, by their definitions, we are villains. We are regressive, repressive, intolerant, bigoted, racist, narrow-minded. Because we don't accept their solutions. We think there's a better way to the peace that we all want. This is so important, guys. What our neighbors want is good. 
we think they're pursuing good the wrong way. People want unity. How cool is that? We're not going to get to unity by shouting each other down by force, by censoring those who disagree with us, by canceling each other. Will not happen. People want equality and justice. How cool is that? We want that too. We are not going to get to equality and justice by fostering tribalism and hate. People want peace. People want respect. We want those who've been marginalized to matter. How cool is that? It's exactly what God wants. And there is a way. Believe it or not, the way starts with bending your knees to Jesus. Confessing Jesus. The path to peace goes through Jesus. Acknowledging him first. After which everything else comes into perspective. There's a pastor out in Arizona at a little church, little church, it's a massive thing called Christ Church of the Valley. Some of you guys might remember Jordan Wolf. He was our student pastor here for a while. Jordan trained out there at Christ Church of the Valley. One of their pastors, a guy named Mark Moore, was at a seminary in Prague. That's in Czechoslovakia. And he said the strangest thing happened when he was out there in Prague. There was a group of Middle Eastern women who showed up, 10 of them. Half of them were Arabs, half of them were Jews. All of them were Christians. And they were there together, sitting together, working together, intermingling with each other. And he says, CNN will never tell you that story because the only peace, real peace in the Middle East, is Christians. The only Arabs and Jews who are actually getting along are the Christians. No kidding. You know why? Because there's something that is way more important to us than what we disagree about. We acknowledge Jesus first. All those things that separate us fade by comparison. It's always been that way. Roman Empire was even more polarized and stratified than our culture today. And the Apostle Paul, who was in the thick of it, This is the same apostle, Paul, who before meeting Jesus was filled with hatred and rage and was on a mission to exterminate Jesus' followers. Paul says in this new life of Jesus' following, in this new life that we live, it doesn't matter anymore if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Holy cow, a Jew saying something like this. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, the kind of things that would tear people apart. It doesn't matter if you're barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in every single one of us. Huge words. And they lived it out. I mean, they're in the early church. They didn't meet in rooms as big as this. But you had Jew and Gentile sitting side by side, slave and free, male and female. It didn't happen in that world. Barbarians, civilized, didn't matter. They're in the room worshiping Jesus together and loving on each other. You didn't find that anywhere else in the Roman Empire. Because there was something we had in common that was way more important to us than anything else that separated us. Still that way. Look around this room. If you're watching online, you can't do that, so let me tell you what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a bunch of weird, weird people, right? You look around and you see old and young sitting side by side, agreeing on very little except Jesus. 
How cool is that? Mostly white, some blacks, Hispanics, a few Asians, even some Indians who worship with us here, worshiping Jesus side by side and loving on each other. We have people in this room that have a whole lot of money and people in this room who have very, very little and a lot of people in between sitting together and loving on each other. We have Republicans and Democrats in this room, serious Republicans, serious Democrats, worshiping Jesus side by side, right alongside people who think they're both crazy. And we care for each other. We really do. PhDs in this room and high school dropouts. People who work with their hands and people who wouldn't know what a hammer is. Fitness buffs and people who think they're just crazy. People who think technology is a gift from God and people who think technology is a gift from Satan. We have people in this room who disagree on nearly everything theologically except Jesus. More than that, in this room, there are sinners of every stripe. People you have detested. We have adulterers in this room. We have those who struggle with porn. We have alcoholics and drug addicts. We have lousy parents and lousy kids. We have cheats and liars. People who battle pride, gluttony, greed, anger, envy. <laughs> Clustered together trying to drag each other towards grace. How cool is that? Because we acknowledge Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. People want unity and equality and justice and peace and respect. We do too. God shows us the way. You see, what we have in common is way, way bigger than any of those things that separates us. We live in an angry and a polarized world. They need Jesus. Mark Moore, that preacher from CCV, he uses the illustration of a football team. He says on a football team, you've got some players who are black and some who are white, some who are huge and some who are not, some who are fast, some who are not, some who are pretty. And you always got a quarterback. I was a quarterback, right? Not all are pretty. He says when you hit the field, none of that matters. When you hit the field, the only thing that matters is the color of the uniform, right? Same thing in the Army. In the army, you've got a plethora of different kinds of people with different kinds of skills, different kinds of passions. When they hit the field, the only thing that matters is the color of the uniform, right? Because they're working together that is way bigger than what separates them. That's who we are. It's the church. What matters to us is the color of the uniform. Do you confess Jesus is your Savior and Lord, not just here, but out there? We have a job to do, guys. <clears throat> and there are people out there who are saying, it's time for us to take back our country. I don't think that's what God is calling us to do. I think he's calling us to take back the church. I think he's calling us to remember who we are and what we stand for. I think he wants us to show them a, a better way. No fear. Better way. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. We want the same stuff they do, but we believe the only way to get there is through Jesus. We're not going to be rude. 
We're not going to be belligerent. We're not going to be defensive. We're not going to be offensive. Jesus is offensive enough. He doesn't need us to add to it. We're going to show them a better way. We're going to live out what they dream. We're going to treat each other with respect and love, even though we are so different. We're going to work side by side, building something way bigger than what they're trying to build. We're going to be bound together by something way bigger than anything that separates us. We're going to speak God's truth with grace because without his truth, there is no grace. And without grace, it's not God's truth. We are going to be the ultimate counterculture right here together in this room. You know why it's so important? You know why this is so big, guys? Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven, and that's going to matter, guys. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven, and you do not want that to happen. It's important because your eternity is at stake. So is theirs. They need us to be Jesus followers. Every week when we gather here, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's interesting because the Lord's Supper is actually described in the New Testament as a confession of faith. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are declaring that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. You're drinking in his grace all over again. Let me show you the words. This was written by the Apostle Paul. He says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you the night the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the next line that he says is so important. He says, whenever you eat this bread, and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim, you acknowledge, you confess that you're a Jesus follower. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's acknowledge Christ together.